Today, uh, today the lesson is probably one of the most important lessons in the whole Bible. I, I know I say I like a lot of these lessons. This one is the one that changed my life. Not, not exaggerating. I have heard this, I have heard Ray Vanderlyn do this lesson probably in person probably five times. On audio, I've probably heard him do it 10, 15 times. And it, and it just rocks me every single time I hear him do it. And so I'm not trying to do anything but communicate what I've learned and what I've heard uh, to you guys. And I want you to feel the power of the picture this morning as we jump right into this. Again, I, I owe a great debt to Ray Vandalin, uh, who taught this lesson to me. And so um, I appreciate that. And I bless God for letting me um, sit at his feet for about five weeks so I could learn this cool stuff. All right, let's stand and let's say the Shema together because we love it. If you can, stand in your heart, Laura. You just stand in your heart. In your heart, I, God knows you're standing for him. Okay, good. Uh, she hurt her foot there. All right, let's say this with all that we have. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha, Ve'chol levavecha, Uvechol nefshecha, Uvechol meodecha, Ve'ahavta la reacha kamocha. Amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. These are the very words of God. Please be seated. For my words, let me get my Bible. Y'all turn to Genesis chapter 15. The lesson this morning is going to come from Genesis 13, 15, and 18, but I'm going to skip around. But I just want you to read with me Genesis 15. There's a bizarre story in here that's kind of interesting, and this is what we're going to unpack today. Got some stuck together pages. Here we go. My Bible has a chapter heading. It says God's covenant with Abram. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my own household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. We're going to skip. No, we're not. Verse seven, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, and a ram, three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these. 
cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down to the carcasses, he drove them, Abram drove them away. Kind of weird story so far, right? Okay. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Wow. A lot of ites. So we're going to unpack this story this morning. And I'm going to show you how God and the culture that we're studying, the Hebrew culture, can turn kind of a weird story like this into something pretty amazing. Rewind. Genesis 3. The Lord God said, you guys see this? All this that I made? I give it to you. It all belongs to you. In a sense, God gave Adam and Eve a skeleton key to every room in his mansion. Except one. Don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. That's it. The rest is yours. But, of course, they sinned. Even then Adam disobeyed God. And they lost their coverings. And now they needed to be covered once again. The rabbis believed that Adam and Eve were originally covered with the shkina or glorious light of God. Now, the question is, why would the rabbis believe as Adam and Eve are portrayed in the movie Noah by Aronofsky? This is how they looked in the movie, remember? Why would the rabbis believe that the Adam and Eve looked like the aliens from the movie Cocoon. Why were they like giant light bulbs? The garments they wore, these are garments. The garments they wore were garments of light. Where'd they get that from? Well, where do the Jewish people get all their ideas from? <laughs> yeah. They read the Bible. Psalm 104 is written about God. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, Psalm 104 says. That's about God. God dresses himself in light. So if Adam and Eve were created in God's image, what would they look like? 
they would be covered in light, just like God is covered in light. Does God dress himself in light? Yep. So what do you think Adam and Eve are dressed in? Light. But as soon as the first bite was taken, the glorious garments were taken as well. And there they stood, completely exposed, terribly ashamed. And they hurried to sew fig leaves together to cover what they could of their nakedness and then unsuccessfully hide from God. And God says, hey, where are you guys? Now, are we to believe that God misplaced Adam and Eve? Where are you guys? Dead coming. I could have sworn I had an Adam around here somewhere. No. The question is, where's your heart? Where are you? What happened to your motives? Where are you? And he took one look at their makeshift coverings. And I think God said, no, that'll never do. See, this work of your hands, it's not sufficient to cover the awfulness of what you've done. The covering of your sin, Adam and Eve, is only going to be possible if a terrible price is paid. And then Adam and Eve watched in horror as God slaughtered an animal right in front of them and then brutally tore its skin from the carcass. It was gruesome and it was frightening beyond anything they could have ever imagined. And that undeserving animal paid the ultimate price so that Adam and Eve's sin and shame might be covered. You say, well, where do you get that, Mr. Dean? Genesis 3.21. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And the question you ought to ask the text is, where'd God get the skin? Is he a magician? Does he pull it out of his hat? Does he make it out of nothing? Ex nihilo? No. I don't think God works like that. I think God said, Adam, Eve, do you know what you have just done? Yeah, we took a bite out of an apple, man. What's the big deal? I'll tell you what the big deal is. And why are we naked? See, how do you know you're naked? You can only know crooked if you know what? Straight. You can only know dry if you know wet. You only know naked if you know clothed. So it's crazy to me that I've read the Bible my whole life and thought they take a bite of a fruit and suddenly their eyes are open and they realize they've been walking around naked this entire time. Nobody ever just looked below the neck. Are you kidding me? The rabbis got it right. They were clothed. They lost those clothing, totally naked and ashamed, and they knew they needed to be covered. But God said, it's not the kind of covering you think because for you to be covered, blood has to be shed and something's got to die. And I think way back in Genesis 3, God foreshadowed the work that he would have to do. Pretty awesome, pretty scary and pretty sad. But they just watched a demonstration The first demonstration of what sudden death so that I might be covered looks like. Now, that was the significance of blood from the beginning. Blood had to be shed for a proper covering to be given. Now, uh, 
fast forward to Cain and Abel. Remember, Cain was a farmer, Abel was a shepherd. So they both came to worship the Lord God. God looked at Abel's offering and said, woohoo, I accept it. You're accepted into my presence. God looks at Cain's offering and he rejects it. And I'm curious, why do you guys think or what have you heard as the reason uh, for which God rejected Cain's offering? Okay, it wasn't his best. It was vegetables. Yeah, it it was vegetables. It was fruits, stuff like that. It wasn't what? Yeah, it wasn't a it wasn't a animal sacrifice, right? These are the things we've heard. Let me tell you something. God commands as a sacrifice the first fruits, grains, all the things that grow out of the earth. Those are actual sacrifices that He commands to be brought. So. Cain is perfectly within his obedience to bring God vegetables. The first fruit of what came out of the ground. So let me tell you something that changed me. God does not measure the offering. God measures the offerer. Now tell me that isn't true. The widow with two mites, remember the two copper coins that the poor widow puts in? She puts in two copper coins and it blows Jesus' mind. He goes, guys, come here, check it out. And he points and he tells his disciples to look. He's blown away at what the widow did. As these rich people are dumping in coffers of money, this lady walks by and hopes nobody looks at her and she goes, dink, dink. And Jesus goes, did you see that? And they're like, look, two copper coins, Jesus, calm down. He's like, no, you don't understand. She gave everything that she had to live on. So God always measures the offerer, not the offering. So that means something was wrong with Cain. Now remember, Cain and Abel, they're living outside of the Garden of Eden. Hey, how come we don't live over there, Dad? (laughs) Well, you see that giant flaming sword <laughs> and the, the angel that's, you know, do, yeah. So uh, we did some sinning and we disobeyed God. And now we're still living out the verdict for the rebellion of what mom and I did. Man, this stinks. I hate sweating. I hate working so hard and getting so little. I know, son. But let me tell you something. You guys may be able to hide your sin from mom and me, but don't ever think you can hide it from God. And I think that was the problem. I think Cain thought, you know what? I'm fine. I am just fine the way I am. I don't know why I have to be any certain way. And he brought his offering and said, there you go, God. You enjoy that. All right, I'll put that together for you. Just a little something. Kind of an arrogance to him. Quite possibly a little bit of, I'm good. You can just accept me like I am. Whereas you know what Abel did. He took his sheep, hung it up by its hind hooves, took a knife and slit its throat and drained all the blood into a basin. Then he took down the limp, lifeless, bloody sheep and he went and he brought it humbly before God. And I think he said, in the picture, that that must be how I look to you. And I'm so sorry. Forgive me, God. 
And that was the significance of the offering of Cain and Abel. I think there was a, I'm fine and a, I'm so sorry. And so God accepted Abel's sacrifice into his presence. So fast forward. Genesis 15. Abram was a nomad. What's a nomad? Good. He's a desert wanderer. He's moving around, usually following the rain, following cistern to cistern to cistern where the water is. Okay. He's going to pasture his sheep wherever the the green pastures are. God came to Abram in a vision. We just read it. The text says, oh, by the way, there's Adam and Eve there. Kind of scared and dressed in leaves. Here's what God says in the vision. He says, Abram, do not be afraid. I am your shield and I am your reward. Now, why would God say it like that? Well, what does that even mean? Yeah, I'll protect you and I'll provide for you. So why not say I'll protect you and I'll provide for you? Because it's a picture and Abram is, he's the Hebrew, right? God is speaking Hebrew to a Hebrew. God is speaking in picture to a Hebrew. I'm your shield. I'll protect you. I'm your reward, your treasure. I'll provide for you. Pretty cool, huh? What would God say to you? If he came into your bedroom one night and scared the living daylights out of you. And what would God maybe say if he said, listen, don't be afraid. Um, I, will, I will give you hope. And I will give you, I don't know, hope and assurance. Can you put that into picture? Can you put hope into a picture? See, this is so far from our thinking, isn't it? How would I picture hope? Man, I don't know. How about assurance? I don't know. God's really good at it. And so are the Jews. And let me tell you guys something. The entire Bible is written in picture. If we don't learn to speak picturese, we're not going to fully grasp the HD quality pixel definition of the Bible. Now, will we miss the message of the Bible? No, not at all. Like I said, remember, we've got our Western perspective and it's good and it's right. But this Eastern perspective fills in a lot of the blanks. So God says, I'll protect you and I'm going to be everything you're going to need. Now the people, the Hebrew people have a relationship with God that's intimate and deeply personal. Very, very honest. God says, Abram, ah, oh, hey God. I will be your shield, your very great reward. And Abraham says, gee, thanks, but. It's like, what? But? What about my kids? Whoa, like, excuse me? I just appeared to you and told you. And he goes, yeah, 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 thanks. But what about my kids? The heir of my household is going to be some guy, Eleazar. And God says, okay, okay, calm down. I'm giving you kids. Abraham's. I'm not getting any younger. When? And God says, go outside. I'm sorry. No, go outside. What do you see? Yeah. Abram says, stars. God says, count them. One, two, three. Abram, I can't count. There's too many. That's what your kids are going to be. Are you saying I'm going to have as many kids as there are stars in heaven? That's exactly what I'm saying, God says. And then Abram 
Instead of going, thank you, God. Do you know what he says? Well, that's nice, but Abram has what the Jews call chutzpah. What is chutzpah? Oh, it's a great word. You got to say it. Everybody say chutzpah. Get some ch in there. Chutzpah. Yeah, I got to have ch in your chutzpah. Abram's got chutzpah. He's Jewish. If you ever watch Fiddler on the Roof, a lot of chutzpah in that. Uh, in that play, so or musical, so uh, I'm going to give you so many kids. It's like the stars in the sky. And Abram goes, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how do I know for sure? <laughs> You're talking to the God of the universe, who just said, "Here's my promise. I'm going to be your shield. I'm going to be your reward, and I'm going to give you so many kids." And Abram goes, "Yeah. How do I know? You promise? Prove it." is essentially what he's saying to God. Prove it. So God says, all right, you want to know if I'm going to give you descendants and land and this last one's in code. God says to Abram, all the nations of the earth will bless themselves because of you. Now what's that? How could the entire world be blessed through Abram's descendant? Who's he talking about? Messiah. Jesus. We know his name's Jesus. He's talking about Messiah. I'm going to give you land. Uh Uh-huh. Children. A lot of them. Uh Uh-huh. And the Messiah is going to come through your bloodline. And Abram doesn't go, thank you, God. He says, that's nice, but how do I know for sure? So God says, all right. I love it. It's very personal. Go get me five animals. Go get me a heifer. What's a heifer? Uh, Female cow. Female cow that has never never had a calf. calf. It's a virgin female cow. Go get me a heifer, a ram, a sheep, a pigeon, and a dove. Abram goes, yes, sir. And he goes and he gets them. But he does something else, something that God did not tell him to do, which tells me Abram knows exactly what God was getting at. What does Abram do? He cuts him in half and he puts this half over here and he puts this half over here. He does that with the three animals, the birds, he just cuts. He doesn't um, cut them in half. He just creates so they will bleed. And what he does, he puts the pieces over against each other, the Bible says. Opposite each other. Okay? Um, Abraham knows, or Abram knows exactly where God's getting. But as far as the chutzpah, it's like, what are you doing, Abram? Just say, okay, thank you. But if you think about, Jesus honors people in the Bible for their chutzpah. Can you think of a story where somebody had chutzpah, this kind of idea of, I'm not giving up. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to let go. I'm going to keep bugging you until you give me what I want. That's chutzpah. What is it? I don't remember that one. Is that in Jesus' life? No, 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 no. Tell me about Jesus. Somebody in Jesus' life who Jesus honors because they just won't give up. It just won't let it go. Remember the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter's going to die? She's from, she's a Gentile. She is not a Jew. And she comes out something like this, crying and begging Jesus to do something to heal her daughter. 
She doesn't do what you and I think. She's not, <laughs> help me, my daughter's sick. I think she's doing more of a, a mourn that a near Middle Eastern woman would. That's how they mourn. It's really weird. It's really scary. And then when all of the women join together, they raise up this. It's a, it's a cry of this is how crushed I am. It's very loud. And if you can imagine Jesus and his disciples walking and behind them is a woman going, la, 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 la. oh my gosh. And do you know what? It's funny if you read it in the gospel. Their disciples go up to Jesus and Mark Dean translation, Rabbi, would you get that woman to shut up? Oh my gosh, I can't stand it anymore. And Jesus says, okay, okay. She's in mourning. He goes up to her and he says, what do you, what do you want? And she says, my daughter's sick. She's gonna die. Please heal her. And Jesus says, sorry, not my mission. And she says, but it's my daughter. And he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You're not a Jew. I can't do anything. I'm sorry. He turns around and walks off. And she, uh, wait. Come on. This is my kid. I know you can do something. And Jesus says, look it. You don't take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. At that point, Mark Dean would have said, you know what? To heck with you. You and your snooty better than thou. I'm so great. And you're not. Forget you. I don't need you. And I would have walked off mad. This woman, she's not giving up. She grabbed, in picture, God by the shirt front, pulls him up and says, I'm not going to let go until you give me what I want. And God says, let go now. And she goes, no. Let go. Now, I'm not kidding. Let go. No. Give me what I want. And see, God honors people for that. You think, that's so irreverent. That's not, God honors people for that. He wants you to say, do whatever you will to me. I'm not letting go. This woman says, children's food to the dogs. Even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the children's table. In other words, bring it on. What else you got? I'm not going away. I will not leave until you give me, until you heal my daughter. And Jesus looks at her and says, daughter, your chutzpah has healed you, saved you. Go, your daughter's going to be just fine. In other words, God said to Jesus, do it, do it. Heal the daughter. And Jesus went, yes. And his disciples were like, remember Peter in the boat? Storms raging, waves are crashing. Jesus says, Walking on the water. The Bible, you should read the, the, the passage. It's really funny. It says, and Jesus went out and walked on the water and he meant to pass by them. Can you imagine? Hey guys. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like Jesus just walked. What's up guys? I'm just passing by. I'm walking on the water. So, but Peter goes, Lord, if it's you, call me out of the boat that I may walk on the water also. And so um, Jesus says, come on, let's go. Let's get up. Peter gets out of the boat. He's defying physics. He knows. He's like, this is impossible. This is so crazy. And he starts to walk. And Jesus is like, job. And then Peter's like, <laughs> and he sees the thickest, darkest clouds and the scariest storm you've ever been on, crashing waves all around him. And he gets freaked out. And he starts to doubt. He realizes this isn't possible. 
So he sinks and Jesus reaches out his hand, pulls him back up and sets him on the firm water. (laughs) Is that better? Peter's like, oh. And Jesus says to him, in your Bible, it says, oh, ye of little faith, why did ye doubt? That's not what he said. Peter, why'd you give up so easy? You had it, man. You let go. What's wrong with you? Where's your chutzpah? You gave up too easily. How many of you pray for a couple of times, don't get it, and you just give up? Or I'm going to do this. It fails a couple of times, so you give up. God and Jesus honor people in the Bible for their chutzpah. Don't ever let go until you get what you're asking for. That's what Jesus said. So, (laughs) Abram says, all right, you promised me kids. How do I know for sure you're going to give me kids? God's like, wow, that's some serious chutzpah. Uh, I'm God. But if you really want to know, go get some animals. He gets the animals, and then he cuts them in half. Now, why would he cut them in half? This is part of what's called a covenant. A covenant in the Bible is a relationship between a greater party and a lesser party. Now, here's what's kind of odd. In a covenant relationship, by the way, a covenant is not a contract. It's not, I mean, excuse me, it's not a paper, something you sign. A covenant is a relationship. So you can enter into covenant with someone. Abraham is about ready to enter into covenant with God about the land, the descendants, and the Messiah. And Abraham says, how will I know for sure? God says, you want to know how you will know for sure? You want to know how you can believe that I'll keep my end of the bargain? And I can see God saying, are you kidding me? You want to know for sure, Abram? Abram says, because he's got this. He says, yeah, prove it. And God says, okay. Are you sure? Yeah, prove it. And God says, go get me five animals. And Abram says, "Uh uh-oh. He cuts them in half. They start to bleed both sides, forming a path. Forming a path. This is exactly what it would have looked like. What happens next is both a covenant and a practice that is still used to this day, y'all, in the, in the Middle East. 